In 2015, after the death of Satoru Iwata, Genyo Takeda was named interim co-president of Nintendo alongside famed video game designer Shigeru Miyamoto. It was an honor in recognition of Takeda's contributions to the company. In fact, Miyamoto himself has referred to Takeda as Nintendo's first game designer for his part in creating what Nintendo considers to be their first video game. Today, we're going to take a look at that first video game and Nintendo's first game designer, Genyo Takeda, as we look at his career that led him to create today's topic, Punch-Out!, which came to the Nintendo Entertainment System in North America in October of 1987. We'll look at Punch-Out! in depth, we'll talk about Takeda's career, we're going to talk about Nintendo R&D 3, finally, and we're going to discuss which video game characters we'd like to see punch out ourselves as we take today's trip down memory card lane. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. I hope these words find you well. Hello and welcome to the 60th episode of our Video Game Nostalgia podcast, A Trip Down Memory Card Lane. Each week we take a look at one title relevant to the current week of gaming history and we talk about it. While doing so, we hope to teach you something new about the game, what it took from the world as its inspiration, and what it gave back to the world in its legacy. Today, we're going to take a look back at the original Punch-Out!, released for the Nintendo Entertainment System in the United States way back in October of 1987. I'm David Casson, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, who has a hell of a mean right hook, my brother, Rob Casson. Rob, you have a mean hook, but you also have a glass jaw. How's that working out for you? Well, I can't really hit myself. And I made that mistake one too many times, thanks to you. <laughs> How you doing? I'm doing well. How about yourself? We're doing good. We're doing good. What you been playing this week? Uh, this week has been Rocket League, Timberborn. Uh, actually did get to play some Punch-Out today, right cool. before our recording here. Cool. And then, yeah, I think that's it. Oh, awesome. and Diablo 2. And Diablo 2. That Duh. is correct. How about yourself? Well, we have overlapped in Diablo 2 and Rocket League. I've also had a chance to play Punch-Out! as well in preparation. I had a chance to play a little indie game called 12 Minutes that I'm in the middle of, which is kind of interesting. It's a little time loop game on the Xbox Game Pass, and I spent some hours playing Cyberpunk this weekend. And by hours, I mean I'm five hours into the game, and I just saw the title screen pop up. This is Cyberpunk 2077, so I finally finished the introduction. <laughs> so, been pretty busy. Been pretty busy. Well, did you have fun playing Punch-Out, at least? I'd say so, yeah. <laughs> Definitely wish I had a little more time so I could have seen if I could have gotten farther. But, you know, it's it's an enjoyable game. Every time I've played, I've always enjoyed it, even though uh, I've definitely only gotten better over the years. Very, very true. Only gotten better. 
Well, we have a whole lot to cover today. We have a whole lot to cover. So I'm going to get started. All right. So way back in 1971, uh, then Nintendo president Hiroshi Yamauchi found himself intrigued by a newspaper article that he was reading on shooting competitions, clay target shooting competitions. And he then went to Gunpei Yokoi, who we've talked about before, a long-term Nintendo employee, and he asked him if it was possible to create a, a shooting simulation using a technology that they had been developing. Now, this technology was called the Opto Electronic Gun SP, which was basically the digital, not digital, mechanical precursor to the light gun system that we kind of all know and, and, and love from the, you know, Nintendo light gun. Wait, the light gun, was that the... Duck hunt one? gun. Duck hunt, okay. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I couldn't figure out was that or the uh, super scope. Same technology, Thinking. if I'm not mistaken. Okay. So at the time, Japan had an abundance of empty bowling alleys. So when all the American GIs were over in Japan, bowling had come over to Japan, and it exploded in popularity. But after World War II, after the Americans left and the fad died out, a lot of the bowling alleys just simply shut their doors and closed. And so Nintendo said, hey, you know, these empty bowling alleys are a lot of space. We need a lot of space for this project that we're thinking about doing. And so they basically bought up a bunch of empty building bowling alleys and they decided that they were going to work on this project, which would be called the Laser Clay Shooting Project. So the laser clay shooting proje- project consisted of an overhead projector and it displayed moving targets behind a background. Players would fire at the target with a rifle and there'd be a mechanism that would measure reflections that would determine whether or not the quote unquote laser, you know, hit the target or not. So early on in 1973, this game was unveiled to the public. This was this was going to be an early Nintendo game. Now, might I remind you too, this is pre-video game Nintendo. This is when Nintendo was just thinking about getting into games because, of course, they were originally a playing card company. And this is about the time when the, their ideas in terms of you know playing cards, board games, so on and so forth was shifting. So this is one of their first forays into anything arcade-ish related, I guess. Uh, And truth be told, 1973, early on, game was unveiled. Day number one, absolute disaster. Absolute disaster. And this is where we get kind of the star of today's episode, who's Genyo Takeda. Now, Takeda joined Nintendo in 1972 after answering an ad in a local newspaper. And he was interviewed by Yokoi. He was hired and assigned to work in Nintendo R&D 2. And at the time, Nintendo R&D 2 was currently working on the electronic gun project. This day one unveiling of the laser project would pretty much come months into his employment with Nintendo. It was, it was really early on in his Nintendo career. And on day number one, right from the start, there was a really nasty, ugly glitch in the programming of this laser clay project that occurred that wouldn't allow the system to register any of the player's actions. So no shots, no scores, no nothing. Kind of defeats the purpose of a game, right? A little bit. A little bit. I mean, who wants to just shoot at a projector screen if it doesn't do anything? 
some people. Yeah, maybe, maybe. In order to fix the game, Takeda personally went behind the screen and controlled the game manually. He controlled the clay pigeons manually, he deleted them when the customer hit them, and he also had to manually increase the player's score every time that they had a hit. And in doing so, they were able to get through the opening day of this project and later on fix the problems with the machine. After a year at R&D 2, and for his part in this, among other things, Takeda was promoted to general manager of Nintendo's fledgling R&D 3 department. Now, Rob, we joked around. We've talked about 1, 2, and last time 4, but we never got to 3. That was a joke. Well, here we are. We got 3. Here we are. Here we are. We get to fill in the gap, finally. Woo. So at the time, R&D 3 was easily the smallest of all the R&D departments. Takeda was only overseeing about 20 employees. Now, R&D 3's primary responsibilities were the technical hardware design and development software for both arcades and then later some home consoles. We're going to talk a little bit more about the early days of the R&D 3, but let's talk about later on real quick. R&D 3 does a lot and also doesn't do a lot at the same time. Um, so let's kind of cover their history. So later on, this division would be responsible for the Nintendo 64, the 64 disk drive, the GameCube, the Wii, the Wii U, the Nintendo 2DS, 3DS, and their XL versions. So they were primarily hardware development. And I mean, let's be honest, they made Nintendo systems, right? Right. In 2000, they would be renamed to the Nintendo Integrated Research and Development Decision and spend most of their time researching all the technologies that would power their next-gen consoles. In 2015, it would merge with another division to become the Nintendo Platform Technology Department, which would oversee the development of the Switch, which of course is Nintendo's current system. So this lineage goes all the way here from the 1970s to the Switch. A little direct, direct department correlation, which is kind of cool, actually. Sure is. As a side note, since we're talking about later on, Takeda, when Satoru Iwata died in 2015, Takeda, along with Miyamoto, were appointed co-presidents in the interim until Nintendo hired a new president. And then after a new president was hired, he was named a technology fellow, uh, and he would hold that position until he officially retired in 2017. So he was around for a long time, too. But going back to the beginning of his career, Takeda's first project after the laser project isn't actually credited to R&D 3. With that being said, it is, though, the game that Nintendo officially considers to be their first foray into video games. And that game is called EVR Race. So EVR Race was a 1975 arcade cabinet in which six players could bet on horse racing. EVR stands for Electronic Video Recording, and it was basically a large table with six screens, one where every player could stand, and then one at the front to show overall. So think of a really huge pinball machine, and the, 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 where the score normally is, is a monitor, and then your table consists of four, like six screens, three on each side, that people could stand on, put their money in, do their bet, and move on, and move on, so... Players would pick the horse they thought to win, and then a randomly pre-recorded race would be selected, and that was that. Was that. Wasn't much to it. Now, because Nintendo considers this to be their first game, 
arguably Takedo is Nintendo's first video game designer. And in fact, famed video game designer himself, Shigeru Miyamoto, has come right out and said that he considers Takeda to be Nintendo's first video game designer because of his work on the EVR cabinet. So we've never really talked about where Nintendo began before in, in video games. And now here we are. EVR, horse racing. Do you know that, Rob? I had no idea, Dave. Did you know that they did a, a laser clay project either? Um, no, can't say that I knew that either. They really don't consider that to be a, a video game. I think mostly because it falls more so in the mechanical game category than the video game category. But yeah, they consider officially EVR, EVR race. That's their first game. So after EVR race, Takeda would earn game design credits on a few other games working alongside Miyamoto. We've discussed one recently while learning all about Donkey Kong. This was the first game that incorporated their famous damsel in distress trope, and that was 1979 Sheriff. So if you'll recall, in Sheriff, the player controls what else but a sheriff who has to defend a town against a gang of attacking bandits and rescue a captured woman. In the game, Takeda is credited as a game designer. Well, Miyamoto worked on the art, which is where which is where we've talked about this, because as we talked about Donkey Kong and Miyamoto's design, we looked at some of his earlier stuff. After Sheriff, both Takeda and Miyamoto are given designer credits on a 1980 arcade cabinet called Space Fireball. In Space Fireball, players guide a ship through deep space while encountering spherical objects that are that appear to look like a bunch of comets or, or shooting stars, and then they suddenly shapeshift into large creatures called firebirds that start attacking the ship. Yeah. So after after space fireball, we have Popeye. Now, if you remember, Donkey Kong originally started out with the Popeye characters, but Nintendo couldn't get the license at the time. And so they shifted the concept and designed the characters for Donkey Kong. But a few years later, Nintendo would get the license for Popeye. And these two gentlemen would both work together as game designers working on a Popeye platform title. So Nintendo did eventually make their their Popeye, which is really like Donkey Kong with another skin on it. Uh, I mean, it, it was a, a good game, but that it was that same like gotta run up girders and rescue i think in that case it was olive oil from uh i can't remember the the bad guy's name right now i can't remember the bad guy's name right now couldn't tell you i I, yeah all this is brutus wasn't it brutus b brutus i don't know man i I, I, I don't know i know i know and that brings us to 1984 the year i was born uh it was yesterday Anyway, so at one point, at some point, sales of Donkey Kong would slim down. Obviously, no game stays famous and popular and, 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 you know, heavy in sales forever. And so as a result, Nintendo had an excessive number of monitors laying around. And so these gentlemen were asked to design an arcade cabinet that utilized this excess of monitors. So after mulling around some options, they chose to make a boxing game. They wanted to utilize the ability to zoom in and out of an object. This was a graphical feature that was starting to become a thing 
and and it, they wanted to take advantage of the latest and greatest technology. So that's what that was. That was their their basis. Let's make a boxing game. Let's zoom in out of an object. We're good. I found an old interview with Miyamoto, and it was really interesting because he talks about all sorts of things that were being worked on at the time. Like, for instance, they told Miyamoto that they could zoom in or rotate the image, but not on both screens at once. You know, they were wanting to use new microchips and they wanted to line two monitors and two microchips side by side and make a really big racing game. But the technology wasn't powerful enough to accomplish that at the time. And then basically, too, they got to the point where if they could only expand one image, they thought about what they wanted it to be and they thought about it being focused on a person. And this kind of helped them zone into a boxing game with one opponent. So they, 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 they basically swapped down to one monitor with a boxing game, zooming in an opponent, but then they had all these excess monitors. So they thought it'd be fun to make the concept stretch into two monitors. So the whole process is kind of a roller coaster, two monitors to one monitor to two monitors. And, uh, we, we get, we get punch out. We get 1984's punch out. Actually, February of 1984's Punch-Out! So it's exactly as old as I am. Wow. I know, right? So Punch-Out! The arcade cabinet would end up becoming the greatest, best-selling, rather, arcade cabinet in the United States for the entirety of 1984. And in the arcade version, the player takes the role of a green-haired, unnamed boxer. He doesn't have a name in the original. And he's known by the three initials that you put in when you start the game. During the matches, the player's boxer is viewed from behind and above as a wire frame. He's not solid in the original, um, so the opponent can be seen. You know, the camera, the camera's more behind you and you're a wire frame. And, you know, like the punch out that we know and love, you have to time your punches, your dodges, your blocks in order to defeat your boxer. Now, unlike... The Punch-Out we'll, we'll discuss in a little bit, the NES Punch-Out. NES Punch-Out, all of the boxers have patterns, right? You learn your boxer's pattern and you you counter it. That's how you get good at, at Mike Tyson or, or Punch-Out. Am I right, Rob? That you are, Dave. Now in the arcade cabinets, they didn't have patterns. They had movesets and they had tells, but they didn't have patterns. So can you imagine that game without knowing? Like, think think about that for a second. What if you're what if what if all those opponents did all their moves randomly? Yeah, it would be a lot tougher. It'd be a lot tougher. I don't know if it'd be as fun or as universally appealing either. You know what I mean? Yeah, I guess I, I have no idea on that one. So it, it's interesting to think about. It's really interesting to think about. So once you get through all the enemies on Punch-Out, you repeat all the enemies with increased difficulty. And so it's just a, a cycle until you lose, until you lose. Um, it's a continuous loop. There's no actual ending. This is very common for many games made during this period, which we've looked at before, the golden age of arcade games. And you would just go in constant circles with the, with the difficulty increasing after every cycle. They did end up producing this one, like I said, with the two monitors. The top monitor ended up having the statistics and fighter portraits. Well, the bottom one was the main game display, along with all the, you know, 
gameplay and power meters and, and so on and so forth. A few years later, here in 1986-87, Takeda and part of the R&D division was assigned to port this arcade cabinet over to the Famicom and the NES. It makes sense. Home consoles were getting stupid popular, popular, and Nintendo wanted to take all of their titles, you know, their their best-selling titles, and bring them over to the NES. But there's one problem. The NES wasn't as powerful as arcade cabinets were. And so they quickly realized that it was going to be impossible for them to faithfully port the graphics and gameplay of the arcade cabinet over to the Nintendo Entertainment System. And so one of the first changes they made was instead of making the playable boxer transparent or wireframe, they decided to make him more little so that players could more easily see the opponent's face. And so as a consequence of this decision, that boxer was baptized as Little Mac, who has been uh, a staple for the entire series. Isn't Little Mac in Smash Brothers 2? That he is, Dave. (laughs) Along with Little Mac, there were some other changes made to the NES version. A plot. There is background music played during fights now. There were animated cutscenes created to break up the the monotonous gameplay or usual gameplay. And there was also a password system added to allow players to, I guess, save your progress. And of course, a change that we just briefly talked about, the AI ability of the opposing boxers was pretty much eliminated. And each opponent was given a set pattern that required trial and error and... I guess a better way to put it would be memorization of players. Uh, Players could memorize the patterns, the set patterns of each player to figure out how to defeat them. And so this made the game less arcade-like, you know? Let's think about that from the arcade standpoint, right? When you build an arcade cabinet, you you want to make a game so players have to keep putting money in the machine to continue, you know? Right. But when you go to a home console, that's not really the goal anymore. The goal is for players to have fun. And so I guess a change like that kind of makes sense in that respect. You get what I'm saying? Yeah, no, I I definitely agree. And I think that I think that the I don't know, I like the set patterns. We'll talk about the gameplay and gameplay in a second, but I like the set patterns. So before the the first version that we know of in the United States is called Mike Tyson's Punch-Out. But before there were Mike T- before Mike Tyson's Punch-Out, Nintendo released the game in a gold-colored Famicom cartridge that was sil- simply titled Punch-Out only in Japan. This was without Mike Tyson in it. And it was a prize for participating in the Famicom's Golf U.S. Course Tournament that was held in September of 1987. They printed or produced 10,000 units of this gold cartridge. Half were given, roughly half were given as high score prizes, and the rest were doled out as lottery winnings. In this one, Mike Tyson isn't the end of the game. In fact, that dream fight, which is we'll talk about in a second, the dream fight's the last fight of the game. It doesn't exist in the, this first version of the game. Instead, it ends with the last opponent of the world circuit, which is Super Macho Man who, as a side note, was the final opponent in... They made another arcade title a few years later called Super Punch-Out, 
And Super Macho Man was the last opponent in Super Punch-Out, so they kind of took it from there. About the time that this gold version was being released, uh, you know, as a prize for this golf tournament, President founder uh, Minoru Arakawa attended a boxing match, and this boxing match featured future heavyweight champion Mike Tyson. This was this was this was not Mike Tyson at the top of his game. I mean, Mike Tyson was always awesome, but Mike Tyson was virtually a nobody at the time because he hadn't earned his titles yet, and and yeah, so kind of kind of early on in his career. And while watching the boxer fight, Arakawa was just enthralled. He was astonished by Tyson's power and skill. And so he really found he he wanted to use Tyson's name and likeness in Punch-Out to help to help the game sell better, basically. It's rumored that Tyson was paid $50,000 for a 3-year period for his likeness, which was a lot of money to him back then. Also, this was kind of a risk for Nintendo. Like I said, this was before he won the heavyweight championship, which he would win, which he'd win months later, but still. So we have gold cartridge punch out, and then we have Mike Tyson's punch out. Mike Tyson's punch out is honestly the version I remember. But then in 1990, the licensing agreement with Tyson expired. And at that point, I'm assuming Mike Tyson was uh, too expensive <laughs> for this game. And so he was dropped from punch out and the game was rebranded under the title, just simply punch out. It was re-released in 90 and 91 this way, and Mike Tyson's name was dropped from the title. His likeness was replaced by a fictional character named Mr. Dream, and this version, this Punch-Out, Mr. Dream's Punch-Out, is the version of the game used in all the virtual console releases, Animal Crossing versions, and it was released, um, it was released recently in the Classic Edition also think it's the one on the Switch um, Nintendo Online, which I, which which is the one I, I I played. So, do you play Mike Tyson's Punch Out? Or do you play Punch Out? Mm. Uh, Mike Tyson's Punch Out, I believe. So yeah, let's talk about the game, shall we? That we shall. So Punch Out features, as we just said, a little boxer known as Little Mac, and Little Mac has to fight his way through the ranks of the World Video Boxing Association. The WVBA. And basically he fights a series of really colorful fictional opponents in three main circuits. And then after that, there is what's known as the dream fight against a highly skilled boxer. Like we said, this dream fight varies in Mike Tyson's punch out. It's Mike Tyson. And then after the, the license to use Tyson expired, it was Mr. Dream. Uh, but they fight the same. There's no difference between Tyson and Mr. Dream other than his skin and name, basically. Well, all of Little Mac's character are, are all of Little Mac's opponents have very interesting fight and move sets. Little Mac is pretty basic, isn't he? That he is. He's got what? Left and right hook, like a left hook, a right hook. Uh, body blow left and right, and then an uppercut, right? I mean, you have face punches, and then you have your your well, the, like, well, uppercut. Yeah, yeah. So you've got left and right jabs, left and right body blows, and then you have an uppercut. Ah, uh, yeah. Yep. And then you can also dodge left or right. You can duck, or you can block punches, right? Correct. Not much more to it. 
No, it's not much more to it. Uh, Little Mac has a health bar. He's got a heart counter that decreases when he's hit or he blocks a punch. When that heart counter decreases to zero, he temporarily turns pink and it appears exhausted, which doesn't allow you to attack. And you just have to avoid the enemy's punches until he gets his breath back. Right? Right. And then he's got a health bar. And every time you get hit, it goes down. And if it goes down all the way, you get knocked down. But you get up again. Never going to keep me down. <laughs> and then about can end in a couple ways. Uh, if you're knockout, so if your opponent goes down, he doesn't get up within the count of 10. He's knocked out. Or if you knock him down three times in one round, that's called a technical knockout, a TKO. There's also a decision. If you go three full rounds without a clear winner, there's a point total. I don't actually know what the point system is. I assume there's certain points for hits and blocks and stuff like that. And whoever's got the highest total wins, but they don't keep score in the game, I guess. I have no idea. I know. And um, that's it. If you lose, what happens if you lose a match? You can rematch them. You get one rematch, right? Yep. And if you lose a rematch, you have to go back to the person before. Yep. And fight your way back up. Correct. Unless you're in a title bout. If you're in a title bout, then um, you fall in the rankings. Uh, if have it's to the go wor- all the way back. Yeah. Yep. 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 So Rob, we just played this. I thought it'd be kind of fun. Let's look at some of the. Let's look at some of the characters and and everything for for punch out. Okay, okay. So, like we talked about, most of the characters were designed I wouldn't say most of them, but a lot of characters were designed by Makoto Wada. Now, Makoto Wada is been involved in a lot of games, not in a major major capacity. He's been a script writer or a scenario designer for a lot of different games. One of which is Animal Crossing. He's a scriptwriter for Animal Crossing. That's what he's been doing recently. So Little Mac, designed by, um, cr- he was created by T- Takeda, but he was he was designed by Wada. A little, little fun fact. I'm gonna keep bringing up Wada because Wada, what Wada, uh, Wada made a lot of these characters. So you start out with Glass Joe, right? I start out this episode with the Glass Jaw joke, and that's where Glass Joe comes from. Glass Joe was introduced in the original arcade game, and he was he first appeared in the arcade version to give young players a sense of accomplishment, which motivated them to spend more money to try and beat the more difficult opponents. So he was basically hmm. the one he, he was basically the one that roped you in. He was purposely designed to be easy and uh, and yeah, made you want to spend the money. Now, he was originally designed by Miyamoto. And then he was revised by Wada for the NES version. Now, Glass Joe is pretty easy, isn't he? Yeah, no, absolutely is. I mean, you you dodge his punches, you knock him down, he doesn't get back up. I don't think he gets back up. I think he's a one and done guy, right? Uh, I think he does get up. Mm. I don't know. I literally just fought him and it was so quick, I can't remember. I know, I know. He's a super fast one. The second one is a stout German called Von Kaiser. Um, Von Kaiser I can't look I'm just gonna say it right now I don't think this game would get made right now in today's cancel culture you you know what I mean 
Yeah, it wouldn't. It would not. Like every one of these characters is a caricature of some racist stereotype for the most part. And I just, I don't think this game would get made like this anymore in any way, shape, or form. No, I don't think so either. It definitely holds some negative connotations. So Von Kaiser, this is his first appearance. And after that, you get a character called Piston Honda. Uh, Mm. In the original arcade, he was Piston Hurricane. I don't know why they changed from Hurricane to Honda. Another stereotype of a typical Japanese boxer. After that, you get Don Flamenco, who I guess he's a flamenco dancer. I mean, he comes out with a rose in his mouth and he uppercuts it. Right? Right. This was his first appearance. Uh, He's another one that was designed by Wada. Uh, One that I caught you beating up on was King Hippo. Uh, King Hippo has a trick to him, doesn't he? Sure does. What's that trick? He opens his big fat mouth, you shut him up, and hit him in the stomach. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Yeah, yeah, that's... that's. Um, I, I was reading an article somewhere that was ranking, like, characters in the Nintendo-verse, and this one was one of the bigger ones. Like, at the time, everybody knew the trick to defeating King Hippo. And then, like, this isn't where King Hippo's only places. There was a, a Saturday morning Nintendo cartoon called Captain, Captain N and the Game Master, I think, and King Hippo is one of the characters in it, so he was kind of a, a, a character for Nintendo kids in the 80s. But uh, this was his first appearance. He, he was new to the Nintendo version, too. And then the one that I hit my wall was Great Tiger. I think you hit your wall there, too, didn't you? Well, just getting to the point where we had to record, so I didn't have too much time to go up against him. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm not saying that he's impossible. I mean, I'm just saying, like... I decided to play it once until I got my butt beat for me with the time I had this week. And that's where I hit my wall was Great Tiger. So he was a Wada character. He first appeared in the arcade Super Punch-Out. And uh, yeah. Now had we gotten past the wall, we would have gotten to a character called Bald Bull. Bald Bull was an original arcade character. Uh, he was designed by Shigeru Miyamoto. And then he was revised here by Wada for the NES. Now, there's something really interesting about Bald, wall, bald Bull. So Bull has a move called the Bull Charge, and it's a special attack in which he moves backwards, he moves forward, and he knocks out the player in one hit. In the first fight against Bald Bull, there's a flash, camera flash, fired by a man in the audience that tells you the exact moment that Little Matt can counter Bald Bull's attack in one hit. Because if you hit him in the stomach at the right moment, he goes down for the count. That Easter egg wasn't unveiled until 2009 by Satoru Uwada. And the same thing happens because you end up fighting Bald Bull again in one of the, like as a rematch in the last circuit, you rematch a lot of characters. Um, and that same effect happens again. However, it's a bearded man. It's a bearded man who moves. And that wasn't note discovered until 2016, which kind of really interests me that it took that many years for someone to notice a towel like that. You, you know what I mean? Yeah, that's insane. Right? How could you miss that? Like, I'm sure if we go now and look at it, it's going to be like clear as day. But realistically, when you're fighting a match, like who who's paying attention to the audience, you know? Right. And then you move on to the world circuit. The world circuit, you rematch with Piston Honda, and then you fight a character called Soda Papinski. So Soda Papinski 
was previously known as Vodka Drunkinski. Drunkinski. No joke. <laughs> he first appeared Ooh. as he first appeared as Vodka Drakinsky in the Super Punch Out arcade version, but his name was changed uh, for the NES version because it's Nintendo and they wanted the NES to be a family friendly system. So Vodka Drakinsky wasn't um, wasn't wasn't really a good thing. You know what I mean? Absolutely. But the thing of it is, is like he's still drunk. I know you, I, I, it may be a while since you got to it, but if you keep playing this and you get to him, you're going to notice like they didn't really eliminate like he hiccups and he still says things that like, I guess you don't know he's drunk. But once you know that his name was Vodka Drakinsky and you go and relook at his words and moves, you're like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Oh, yeah, for sure. Oh, yeah, for sure. So. And then after that, you fight Super Macho Man. Like like we talked about, Super Macho Man was the last character in the original gold cartridge version that was given out for the gold tournament. Uh, Super Macho Man first appeared in the Super Punch-Out arcade cabinet, and he was the final character in that version of Super Punch-Out. Now, I didn't really talk about that version of Super Punch-Out because eventually we would perhaps do a, a episode on super punch out itself. And if we do, then we can talk about the super punch out arcade cabinet and the super punch out game for the NES, which I fucking loved. I'm even going to lie. Um, yeah. And then if you were lucky enough to have gotten through the whole world circuit, you got to the dream fight, which like we already said was either Mike Tyson or Mr. Dream and this was the first time either one of those characters was ever introduced to the Punch-Out! series. So, Rob, I'm going to ask you a question right here. Out of as far as you've gotten or what you can remember, who is your favorite boxer to go up against? Well, I like the easy ones, obviously. They're they're a lot easier to beat. Yeah. Um, I guess I don't I it's a tough one. I can't remember a time that I've made it to the dream fight. I would probably say it's either Flamenco or Bald Bull. See, I really like Dima Flamenco. I like Dima Flamenco because he's not hard. And he comes at, I think, a good time in the game. You know, so like you're just kind of getting in. I feel like the, the first circuit is a warm up circuit. You know? Yeah. You You go through... It's pretty. It's, it's pretty easy to go through Glass Joe, Von Kaiser, and Piston Hurricane, and then you get Don Flamenco, which is your major circuit, and he's not really hard either. I don't, personally, I don't think many people have issues till they get to King Hippo or Great Tiger. Like, well, I mean, obviously, like we did, right? But no, Don Flamenco is fun. He's also, if I'm not mistaken, he's one of those guys that's got an infinite, uh, meaning that you can just keep hitting him left and right, and as long as you keep that pattern up, he doesn't ever shake out of it. So he's pretty easy to take down, but oh, he's he's uh, Flamenco's a lot of fun. I remember as a kid that Soda Popinski was like my my issue. Yeah, he he was my issue. I don't know. I like him. Um, King Hippo always cracks me up, so I don't. I like King Hippo too, but King Hippo's really easy once you know the trick of him. Like he's not he's not hard. You just got to have the timing down to shut up his, the sh- what is it? How does he say it? Shut his big mouth. Is that what they say? Something like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty stupid. Oh, it's pretty damn stupid. But yeah. I mean, needless to say, Punch-Out was a, a smash hit. 
there were only two games that exceeded 2 million copies sold in the year it came out, 1987. This one, and do you know what the other one is, Rob? Hmm. Can't say that I do, Dave. Legend of Zelda. Oh, that's right. Um, I guess I forgot the year that Zelda came out. So, you know. You know, I... I that's a, I wouldn't have remembered if the notes weren't right in front of me. Don't don't beat yourself up over it. All right. So lastly, before we move on to the non us part of this uh, speed running, Rob, did you have an opportunity to look at the speed running community around this game? I've seen the speed runs in the past. Yes. Well, tell me about the speed runs because you're bigger into speed running than I am. Uh, They're fast at this game. <laughs> How fast are they at this game? Uh, some of the ones I've seen are sub 20. Yeah, there's a lot of sub 20s. I know that you can go online to YouTube and watch a recording with the, I guess he's probably one of the most famous speedrunners, Summoning Salt, right? Mm-hmm. And he did it. There's a recording of him doing it in 15, what, 1512, if I'm not mistaken. Didn't I send you that one? Uh, I think it was, I don't remember off the top of my head because I'm not looking at it, but uh, somewhere around there. Uh, I think 1512 is his recording. He did that, I don't know, four, five, some years ago. I can't remember. I should have I should have wrote that down. What I did, though, is look at the current world speed running record. And that was beaten. Summoning Salt beat himself last year. They're now down to sub 15 minute times, Rob. So they can play this entire game. The record currently is 14 minutes and 55 seconds. Uh, so now this entire game can be beat in under under 15 minutes, which is really frustrating to think about. Yep. <laughs> because we'll spend 15 minutes on one person. That's exactly what I was thinking. Uh, you, yep. you, little, you literally took the words out of my mouth. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> and they can beat the whole game in 15 minutes. You know, we kind of did this with the Metroid, how like, the, you know, I, I beat Metroid and I was like, yeah, it's an hour, two hour type deal. And I think about as a kid, how long these games used to feel. And it really kind of feels like I got my face now when I have to come here and sit and talk about the reality in that this game can be beat. in fit. I mean, 15, let's say 15 minutes is 15 minutes is super fast. But with that being said, let's assume you can beat everyone in the game and it's by decision, right? So decision means that there's three rounds. Each round is three minutes. So each character is nine minutes. You follow me so far? Mm -hmm. And there are one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13. There are 14 fights. What's 14 times nine? What's 15 times nine? 136. So you figure in two you figure in two hours. I mean, ah, if, if it, that's hard, it's not even it, fifth uh, math is incredibly hard and we're like way off. 26. You said what was the math or what was the question? It's 135. You're close. I had already forgotten the question. It was a nine minutes 14. times. Is it 14 characters? I, I did this 15. If it's 14 characters, it's only 126. So you were right. So, yeah, I thought it was 14. Yeah. yeah. So it's essentially two hours. You could blow through this entire game. And I know I would waste way more than two hours in one sitting playing this game. Sometimes I'm sure I spent an entire day playing this game. Um, It's just crazy to think about. 
in hindsight. You know what I mean? Oh, for sure. Hindsight, hindsight. For hindsight. sure. But yeah. So that storied history is Punch Out with R&D 3 and Takeda and a lot of really colorful characters that would never get accepted in today's PR culture. I mean, for real. Vodka Drakinsky. <laughs> it's hilarious. It's hilarious. Uh, but yeah. Very, very dicey. Look, I, I'll be honest. I had a lot of fun playing Punch Out again. I it, it doesn't get old to me. Yeah, I, I enjoy the hell out of it too. I, yeah, I, I did. It doesn't it doesn't get old to me either. So, um, but yeah, critics and users loved it. Rob, didn't they? What they what did what did people have to say about uh, about this game? Well, as far as critics, uh, Gamespot reader poll had ranked it as the sixth greatest NES game. It was rated the 17th best game made on a Nintendo system in Nintendo Power's top 200 games list. Even in August 2008, Nintendo Power listed it as the sixth best Nintendo Entertainment System video game, praising it for putting arcade-style fun over realism. Author Nathan Lockard cited the graphics, violence, controls, and the variety of its being a true classic and one of the best NES games. In 2005, Punch-Out! was inducted into GameSpot's list of the greatest games of all time. GamesRadar ranked it as the 11th best NES game ever made. The staff called it a brilliant puzzle game disguised as a sports game. That's a really good way to describe it, isn't it? It absolutely is. Uh, I, at least the NES version, not so much the arcade version, apparently. I mean, it, 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 I mean let's, let's talk about that for a moment. Because I, I, I said in the beginning, I think, I think the reason why this one has such widespread appeal is that sentence in a nutshell is why everybody loves this game it's it's a boxing game but it's not a boxing game i mean it is a boxing game but you're right it's a puzzle game because you have to learn you have to learn right right you got to put the pieces together and memorize the and memorize their moves and then one look I would assume you'd love this game because isn't Dark Souls the same concept like muscle memory? Yeah, basically. Um, they, they, I guess I could see the correlation between the two. Absolutely. I mean, isn't that that whole genre that your success your success is based on learning the patterns of the enemies? That's 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 it, isn't it? Isn't that? Am I not understanding Dark Souls in a way? I mean, I it's just a lot simpler, so I, I hadn't really thought of the two, but you are right. It is the same same concept. I mean, I know it's simpler, but I always thought that was the draw, what people really liked about Dark Souls. Other than the fact that it's really hard, that's how you get past the difficulty. That, that was it. Because it's very hard. Yeah, yeah I enjoy it because it's hard. It's a but challenge. That, but that's the, that's the thing. Like, It becomes less challenging by learning the enemy's moves. And that's You're muscle. not wrong, but... Okay. Yeah, you don't think about that. It's just about the challenge. So critics loved it. What did some users have to say about it? Well, Guy Chapman on Moby Games calls Mike Pison's tu- Mike Pison's touch out. <laughs> <laughs> I can, right. I, I'm good with that. Uh, Guy Chapman on Moby Games calls Mike Tyson's punch out the most entertaining boxing game ever made. He starts out by noting that he's not a sports game fan. That aside... This still remains one of his favorite NES games of all time. Mike Tyson's career behavior notwithstanding, 
The game offers a colorful selection of characters with personality instead of two palette-swapped fighters blandly pounding away at each other. Each character was different, fully animated and entertaining. Same went for all of his little nods to the company, from the amusing Mario cameo to Doc's advising Little Mac to join the Nintendo Fun Club pre-Nintendo Power. Even Little Mac himself had a sprint to him, which kept him from being the generic boxer found in the arcade. I had a bit of a spirit to him. Meh, spirit, sprint, we'll take it. Keep going. Yeah. Gameplay is where it excels. The game is simply fun. Fun. Never before or since has there been a boxing game as entertaining to me as Punch-Out. The gameplay is rock solid, and even when you learn all the strategies in secret, it's still fun to blow through over and over again. It's one of those classics that simply remains at its heart a great game and never loses what made it special in the first place. So, as well as Guy Chapman, Asinine on Moby Games gave this four stars, writing that any sense of realism is quickly abandoned the second you beat Glass Joe and you are set up against the most stereotypical German ever, followed by a guy from Japan who can only speak in words like Honda, Kamikaze, and a few car brands. I don't like realism, so it's funny to see a game throw it overboard like this and sailing away on the SS silliness. Why isn't silliness a word? Mm. The stereotypes just keep flying at you, and the game reaches its top when you have to fight against an Arabian magician. The Tiger King. I just thought about that. It's the Tiger King, Rob. Uh, Sure, it's Great Tiger. Mm-hmm. Whatever you say. Okay. The controls are really fluent and fast with only the special ability been bound to the start button. Why in the world would you choose start for this? Mm. Aside from that one stupid choice, you will easily learn how to dodge and attack while fighting Glass Joe. No tutorial needed. It feels pretty awesome to successfully dodge somebody and then give them the uppercut. And the best thing is that you don't need any weird combo moves to pull such a thing off. The graphics absolutely blow my mind every time I see them. Seriously, just play Super Mario Bros. For a few minutes and then switch to this game, it looks like you just jumped 8 bits forward. Characters look awesome. There is a crowd in the back and it has a cutscene where Little Mac jogs through New York City. And you can see the Statue of Liberty in the background. It's just amazing. I can't even begin to imagine how they managed to fit it on an NES cartridge. Punch-Out! is a funny game with a lot of character to it. Realism is keelholed several seconds in. The graphics are breathtaking, and the gameplay works perfect, so I don't know who wouldn't enjoy this game. The only people I can't recommend this game to are the ones who are looking for something casual and easy to play, because this game tends to be very hard and requires multiple sessions in order to get past certain parts. If you can handle a little challenge, then this game is definitely worth checking out. Well, I hate to tell this guy, but... People can beat this in 15 minutes. <laughs> yeah, I know. All Multiple right. sessions. Jeez. I know. All right, Rob. Well, I have another gaming question for you or gaming question of the week based on this game. Sure. Uh, so the basis of the basis of this question was that if there was any video game character you could challenge to a boxing fight punch out style, who would it be now? I want you to think about this for a second because my the kind of the way I thought about this is how cool would it be if essentially there was a punch out Super Smash Brothers style where you had a large roster from all over the Nintendo place? You get what I'm saying? 
So are we asking who would I box or like who would I choose in a video game about boxing? Either or. I mean, you can take this from either angle. Who I, I, I thought about this as in who would I want to fight? Who would be a really fun, colorful character to put into punch out, animate and make a stereotype of essentially and, and, and have fun fighting, you know? I mean, would be kind of fun to like probably use Master Chief. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Master Chief would be fun. I was thinking like Kratos, you know. I Dante. Think Dante, yeah, Dante would be another fun one. Um, I'd like to beat up on Trevor from Grand Theft Auto. Yeah, that <laughs> I can agree to that one. That dude could take some punches. He can. Yeah. No. Uh, that. Yeah. Oh. But I don't know, like, I mean, Kratos would be cool because, like, him and his fists, you know, you could see the, the, the freaking fist just kind of flaming fists light up and get at it. Um, I mean, who else Who else could you think of that would be, like, big animated type deal? I mean, Master Chief would just be fun. Master Chief would be fun. Master Chief's special move, if they knock the player down, Master Chief should teabag. As a taunting move, <laughs> that that would be perfect. That, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you you sold it. We yeah. need to get this going. I know. Greenlight the production. Come on, Microsoft. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's got to be other characters, you know, um, that you could throw in there and turn into giant stereotypes. I mean, Sonic would have super fast punches, you know. Yeah. Um. I don't know who else is in Smash Brothers that would probably be fun to move over to Punch Out. That's kind of what I was thinking of. I mean, like the Mario cast, you have like Bowser, or Peach, or Yoshi. Yeah. Uh, you could say like the Pokemon. Well, there's actually like fighting Pokemon who punch. So. Oh the, yeah, you could do a punchy Pokemon. That'd be cool. Yeah, that would be kind of cool. A lot of them would be firefighting, but like. Hitmonchan, Hitmonlee in a, in a punching competition and punch out. That'd be kind of fun. Yeah, I think that'd be neat. Hmm. Um, who else? Star Fox. Yeah. Captain Falcon. Yeah. I think, there's a, I think there's a lot of characters, but I, I really like I really like thinking about Master Chief teabagging someone now for whatever reason. I'm sure you do, Dave. <laughs> Gross. Oh, all right. Well, I think, you know, we're we're into this in it to win it now. And and I've rambled on for a long, long time. Uh, Anything about Punch Out that you'd like to add? If you've never tried it, give it a try. It's fun to some. It's frustrating to others, but it's worth a try either way. Not that I condone piracy, but it's pretty easy to Google punch out and play it online so just a side note or yeah yeah, yeah. or if you yeah. have a switch it's on if you have a switch and you have nintendo online it is part of your nintendo online which is how i played it i played it on well that was actually so i played it on my living room tv you know my i don't know 50 inch i think i have a 50 inch it doesn't matter but big screen tv i think most I think most of us have big screen TVs nowadays. Let's be fair. Um, which is different than we played it as kids. Which was interesting. Um, 
Also, there's more of a lag, I think, on modern TVs. I could be wrong. I'm probably wrong on that, aren't I? Uh, yeah, I, I'm going to think that you're a little wrong on that. I don't know. It was interesting playing it on my Switch on my big screen TV. That's the point of it. So it's a different experience. I've never done that before. Right you are. Right, right you are. Right you are. But yeah, that's uh, that's Punch-Out. That's t- that's Takeda. That's R&D3. That's Punch-Out. And Miyamoto and Miyamoto's involvement. Uh, you know, if you want to learn more about Miyamoto and his art design, we kind of covered that in our Donkey Kong episode. And of course, if you want to go back and look at that episode or any other episode, you could do so on our website, which is www.memorycardlane.com. Also on memorycardlane.com, there is a calendar of upcoming episodes. And under each calendar listing, there is a submit button. So if you wanted to submit to us your own memory review, recording, uh, et cetera, et cetera, opinion, gaming question, any way you'd like to add to our podcast, you are more than welcome to hit the button and submit, and we will include you in our conversations. Our biographies are on there, as well as ways to interact with us or support our podcast through our Patreon or our Discord community. Also, underneath our biographies, you can find our social media links. I am on Twitter as David is wrong. And Rob, where you be these days? I'm on twitch.tv forward slash F A T B O I R I P Z. Awesome. Well, at the top of every episode, we tell you the point that we'd like to teach you something new about the game what it took from the world as its inspiration, or what it gave back to the world in its legacy. And in doing so, we go roundtable and we talk about what we learned, our biggest takeaways from each episode. So Rob, your biggest takeaway from the NES version or the arcade version of Punch-Out, either or, we talked about a lot today. What was your big takeaway? Um... Well, if I'm being completely honest, I didn't really know that there was an arcade version of this game, and even more so that said arcade version didn't have the same patterns as this NES version. Kind of cool, huh? Yeah, I just I had never seen it in arcade or anything, so I just thought it was released on the NES, and that's where it got its start. Kind of makes me wish I could find a, an arcade version of this to play it or like maybe wish they had put it on the Nintendo Switch online or just some somewhere. I don't honestly know where the arcade version uh, exists, but I too am curious and would like to see it for myself. Yeah, would be very interesting. So uh, for me, roundtable, uh, what did I learn today? I had never really done much research on early Nintendo like pre Donkey Kong Nintendo. Um, And so getting to dive into the laser clay project, which was new to me and I had never ever stumbled across EVR race. I I never knew what their first uh, arcade title was or, or that Takeda was by, by many considered to be their first game designer that, that whole, that whole early Nintendo history was new for me. So that was a lot of fun to get to dive into today And because I got to dive into it, I included it on today's episode, which was a lot of fun, too. So that was new for me. Uh, Yeah, it seems to be (laughs) so. um, So, yeah. 
fun times. Oil crisis in 1973. That was the first time that Nintendo could have gone under. The next time would have been the video game crash of 83, but Nintendo was the one who took us out of that one. We're actually going to look at that because we talk about E.T. and the video game crash at the end of the year. Like, I think E.T. is one of the last episodes of 2021. Um, Yeah, fun times. Fun times. All right, Rob. Well, on that note, I think I've rambled on enough about uh, history for one evening or day or whatever afternoon whatever whenever you're listening to this so is there anything you'd like to give to our audience or add to our audience before we take it out of here as always just want to take a moment to say thank you so much for listening we love it we're gonna keep doing it we hope you enjoy it too we hope you're loving it we hope you're enjoying it and uh tell us about it you know yeah yeah i know know. do you dave do you really yeah okay thank you again (laughs) let's look at next week huh sure thing so originally conceived as a standalone title in the need for speed series motor city online was eventually released to the world as a standalone massively multiplayer online racing games now honestly there's really only a handful of massively multiplayer online racing games or mmorg which is really weird to say um, and because there's only a handful, we're going to look at all of them. We're going to talk about the whole MMORG genre as a whole. So we're going to look back at Motor City Online. We're going to look back at all the MMORGs that have come, that have gone. And we'll talk about the few that still exist to this day. So join us next week. Grab your car keys, put on those driving gloves, and join us uh, same time, same place as we put the pedal to the metal for next week's traffic-filled trip down memory card lane. Do the thing. Do up, do up, do up, do up, do 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 bop.